Good evening. Try that again. Good evening, everybody. It's good to be with you. And uh, yeah, thank you, Pastor Bevan, to, uh, for the invitation. It's always tricky when you ask the lead pastor to come. I, I heard of a, you know, in certain denominations, they have bishops and then they have local vicars or, you know, priests in the different parishes and the bishops like the, the top dog. And, um, <clears throat> and so this bishop goes to this church and he comes there and uh, he comes to the service and there's like hardly anyone. And uh, so they do the service, and afterwards, the bishop calls the vicar over, and he says to him, uh, that's the wind, I think. Um, he says to him, like, is, is the attendance as bad every Sunday? He says, no, no, it, it, was, it, was, it was just this Sunday. So he says, but did you tell people I was coming? He said, no, promise I didn't, but word got out. <laughs> ah, taking a risk. Thank you, Bevan. Thank you, Evening. It's great to be with you guys. I've, uh, I'm, I'm going to take us through um, sort of like an understanding of PBC's strategy for our mission. And uh, I'll need to frame that, but I don't know if you remember probably, what, three, four months ago, Engineering Ministries International came and they did an evening with us. And we began to think about what really matters for us at PBC. How does our mission work? What does community look like? Um, you know, are we going to keep doing things the same way forever? Amen. What, what is that? And as we began to like dig into that, and, and that is a process is helping us look at the buildings that we have, etc., while most, well, it, it seemed that a lot of people understood something of what our mission is, what our intention is. Um, not nearly as many people uh, were were clear on what our strategy was. Okay. Uh, we're not clear on our mission. Sorry, there's a typo there. Um, and uh, but we're not nearly as sure about our strategy. So, what is our mission? Our mission is reproducing the full life of Jesus. And the elders, uh, about two years ago now, went away on retreat, and we reinvestigated that. Is there a way we want to say it better? Jesus uh, called us in Matthew 28. He came to the disciples. This is after his death, his resurrection. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he, his task is to make disciples, introduce people, immerse them in Trinitarian reality, the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and then train those to obey everything that he's commanded. Not some of or, you know, selective versions. Everything he commanded uh, those first disciples to do. And then there is his promise of his presence. 
And so Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 says, The disciple is not above the teacher. Again, the words of Jesus. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So becoming like your teacher, becoming like your master is the objective or the description of what it means to make disciples. We, we learn to obey everything he commanded. It's definitely one of the parts of it, yes. But actually at the end of the day, what you want to do is be like your teacher. And so that explains why we talk about reproducing the full life of Jesus. Paul says he struggles, uh, contends with, and, and God's power is in the mix. Uh, and, and, and what he's working to do is to present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, that's in end of Colossians chapter 1. So let's just talk a little bit about our mission first. Our mission, in a sense, is written in blood. Luke 24, verse 46, 47, Jesus says, For this reason, the Messiah, the Christ, had to suffer, die, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're the witnesses of these things. And so it's out of his suffering that our mission is born, out of his death. And so our mission is not ours to choose. You know, you don't have a committee meeting and say, what's the mission in its most fundamental definition? Why do we exist? What is ours to do? That belongs to the head of the church. Our mission is written in blood. However... Our strategy is written in pencil because it relates to our time and place. So you, how you go about it. So what it looked like to do mission in Jerusalem, what it looked like to do it in Samaria, what it looked like to do it in Corinth or Athens. Well, they had to work it out and, and discover what strategy was needed for that place, that time, these people. Missionaries understand that you can't travel, you know, from Cape Town and go into Saudi Arabia and think you're just going to do church the way you've done it here. It's not going to work. You've got to work out what your strategy is. The difficulty is, is that once a church has been in a place for a while, you assume that how you're doing it is the most effective strategy because after all, that's what you're doing. The fact that half the churches are you know, sliding down and slipping back and not reaching people well, you know, we tend to hopefully ignore that. But that does not mean that strategy is less important. Remember, mission is a command written in the blood of Jesus. Strategy is in pencil. But if you have no strategy, you have no mission. You ain't doing anything. And so it's not as if we can say about strategy, well, it's completely secondary. Strategy must be defined by what you're trying to accomplish. Mission does, the, the mission of the church comes first, is given by Jesus. Your strategy always seeks to accomplish that. But your strategy, if you don't have a strategy, you don't, you're not doing any mission. So you've got to work it out. Now, there are ways in which strategy is, is generally very broad. So, for example, 
the New Testament church, one of their strategies was just to be nice to people. They, uh, they showed incredible generosity, for example. They were hospitable. They opened their homes. They met together in their homes. They had meals together. And, and they did so, and there was a real authenticity about them, Acts chapter 2. They did it with glad and also with sincere hearts. The other thing about them is that when you were spending time with them, half the time you were sort of like aware that God was present and God was working. And so whether it was, you know, casual, seemingly casual conversations or whatever, you had that sense of God's presence, God's involvement, God's love. God's goodness coming towards you. Now, that should be true all the way. Yet at the same time, you find different churches working out how to meet in different ways. And, and that can change whether, for example, you're in the context of a persecuted church where you can't meet on a Sunday, where you can't throw the doors open and put a big sign up, where you can't advertise what you're doing. And so strategy has to change. A mission without a plan is only a dream. And so having a clear plan is important. So what has PBC been doing? So the trends of our story. So on Wednesday, 21st of Feb, uh, one week after Valentine's, uh, is PBC's 75th anniversary. So uh, it's been a constituted church uh, for 75 years. And uh, so that's longer than anyone in this room has been alive. So happy birthday to us. Um, and for about four of the decades, so after about 30 years, PBC reached so like a high point in attendance. And then it's had a very similar attendance range uh, since that time. And the truth is that that can't be explained by lack of commitment. There have been amazing people, deeply committed, not a lack of spirituality. There's been prayer and, and a longing for God, uh, a longing for others, so something about our strategy needs to be revisited because what happens is we, we keep sort of like growing and we reach a point and, and what we've found is that the social chemistry of feeling like we belong and we're part of a family and that kind of thing, as the numbers increase, after a while you're struggling to connect to the people you're doing church with if it just gets too big. And then what happens is that people pull back. Now, we don't say that we're, you know, um, jeopardizing our mission. We don't say we're sabotaging our mission. We just say we're going to emphasize community and belonging for a little bit. And so we, we dial back on reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. Until the sense of being community gets sort of like comfortable again. And then we go, gosh, guys, we're supposed to be doing mission. Come on, evangelism. Let's get out there. And so we, we go again. And then we reach a point. And, and so what has happened is we've oscillated up, down. Every five to ten years, there's been these trends. 
depending on the gifts and the leaders and that kind of thing, who's passionate about mission and evangelism, we go out and we do it for a while, and then someone really pastoral and caring and consolidating comes in, and then we bring it all together, and, and so we've gone. And that's been uh, certainly uh, up until about five, ten years ago, that explained about 30 or 40 years of our story. And, and what, we underst- what we've come to understand is actually our structure that is inhibiting breakthrough growth. So let's talk about reaching our city and community. As our city and community has grown, the effect of maintaining the church at the same size, so, so let's say about 300 people, 400 people who regard the church as their spiritual home, the effect of that is if the overall population... Back when the church was started, there was about half a million people in Cape Town. There's now about five million people in Cape Town. If we had the same ratio of penetration, we should have 3,000 people by now. Because the city has grown 10 times, and we're more or less staying the same. You understand the maths of that? Our penetration is getting less because the city is nearly 10 times larger. And our community, even just Pinelands and Thornton, etc., this area has been earmarked for high-densification urban development. Um, and so although you drive through the suburb and that kind of thing, and they, they're not going like, to make everyone knock down their houses and build skyscrapers, but wherever there is open land... The city has said, we want to go up and we want to put lots of people there. Think Conradi Park, for example. Think Pineworks, for example. And that is also why when the average person in Pinelands goes and says, I want to put a flat on my, in my backyard on the cottage, they say, fine, go ahead. Um, but my property will have two or three kitchens. That's fine, go ahead. And so they don't mind multiple households because this area has been earmarked for densification. And so the, the fact is that our area has gone from having about 6,000 to 7,000 residents when this was there, uh, even when this part of the building, I mean, there was hardly a couple of thousand back 75 years ago, but in 1970 when this I- area was being built up, I saw... An old, uh, some old movie footage of the opening of this building. And you look down, and none of these houses were here yet. This was all like open felt, and there were like stands marked, but, you know, Riesach had nothing in it. Um, but you could see that they had started laying the roads and putting the earth, you know, the pipeworks in and the plumbing and the sewerage and all that kind of thing. And this place was being built. And so, not only has this now been developed, but at the same time, all this densification. And so, we've got Pinelands and Surrounds. Our voting ward now, for example, has about 26 or 27,000 residents in. Can you see, here's the point, that just staying at the same number is not even keeping pace with the development 
and the opportunity and the missional responsibility that is ours to bear witness to Jesus where we are. Does that make sense? Any questions so far? Maybe I'll start asking the questions. So, what are our strategic options? Any ideas? If you were to think, how do we shape a church? How do we kind of reposition ourselves? What are some of the options? You know, if we fill this building, and, and then we're full, and we say, okay, well, we, we're successful because the building's full. What are, what are other ways we can reach more people? Let's have a few ideas. So you could get other buildings. And of course, those would need to be in Pinelands. You know, we're not reaching our community by planting churches in Melkbos. So it's, it would have to be literally here, which is a challenge, by the way, because there's not much land. And the land that is there is going at a very high premium. Other options. Homes. We can meet in homes. We can use that. There aren't necessarily right or wrong answers. I'll show you. There's, there's, there's several different options. We could expand our ministries, but can they come and worship with us? Or do, or do we say, that's, you must stay there, don't come to church because we're full? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just teasing out the consequences. So, I mean, you could run subsequent services, for example. We could knock down this place and try and build a megachurch. So let's, let's look at some of the options, Okay. The first one is that we pretend this isn't happening. Jesus told the parable of the talents where people were given a whole lot of stuff and resources. And, and the one guy just buried it. He just buried it, hoped that the problem would go away. And at the end, he unearthed and said, yeah, it is. And he was told he's a wicked, lazy servant. Um, and uh, so hopefully, you know... We can, can we agree we just want to scrap pretending this isn't a challenge? We, let's just scrap that and wrestle with the issue. Because if we're just going to, we can just go, well, the last 40 years have been great. And besides, I belong, I'm in, I'm okay. No, that's not okay. So that was option A, but we're scrapping it. So let's try option A. Let's try and grow to... A big church, by this we mean sort of like demographically in South Africa, somewhere between four and 800 people, or even a mega church, which in the literature starts at around about 800 to 1,000. Okay? Now, the chemistry of those, those kind of churches is very different. So um, we'll come back and, and, and we'll consider uh, some of these. The other has been suggested already. We plant new churches in Pinelands. Planting new churches in Porfader ain't going to actually address the challenge that we have. Um, and then, of course, we could have multi-sites. So this is sort of where the church is at the moment. Our venue over here is full. I mean, Classic is rocking. Um, and so they're pretty much packing this place. Not like that, Bevan. Rocking. <laughs> oh, dear. They're packing out the place. And so... Finding another venue um, is, 
absolutely essential. So, um, and you can, you can do that by running multiple, almost like cloned services. Now, multi-site is almost like a franchise, you know. So if you go to Spur in Seapoint, you go to Spur in Musenberg, and you go to Spur in Bethlehem in the Free State, like the mushroom sauce all tastes the same and was probably made about three months ago in the same place. You know, it's, it doesn't matter where you are. A franchise is pretty much, you know what you're going to get when you walk through the door. So often multi-sites do run sort of like on a franchise model. Um, and they haven't really been given delegation of mission. Um, and then something we've been dis- uh, working with is what we call missional congregations. They not only worship in different places or maybe at different times, but they receive delegation in some key specific areas. So let's, I want to take you back now to those options and just give you a little bit of understanding why we have chosen what we have chosen. So this talk is actually 12 years old. This comes from about 2012 through to do about 2014. And it, and it reflects a journey of the church wrestling with, refusing to let go of the difficult question, What should our strategy be? How do we break out of this oscillating uh, paradigm and what were our choices? So there's a giant oak tree in Kirstenbosch Gardens. And if you aim for, you know, one big, even mega church, etc., what are we looking at? Well, this process requires massive change within the church at every stage. So... The previous church I was at, when they called us, there were 19 people, okay? And so we started meeting in a school hall. Uh, The church had bought a forest, literally, uh, a jungle, uh, quite nearby to the school, and we were going to clear the land and then eventually build a building, and all that took several years because we didn't have any money and uh, that kind of thing. You know, to do that with 19 people was ridiculous, and so you had to get started. But one of the things was, is that moving so quite quickly, almost like straight away when the people heard in the neighborhood there was a pastor or whatever, we stabilized at about 35, 40 people. And then it took us some conscious change and almost three or four years to get to 80 people. But the social chemistry inside the church had to shift so that the church could operate as 80 people. When we hit 80, we found ourselves sort of like hitting another challenge. And we had to shift again how we organized ourselves. You know, the first church planning day, literally, eight of us sat in the room. There was no elders, no deacons, whatever. Just eight people came and sat in the room, and we all threw ideas into the middle of the floor. And at the end, we voted because we hardly had any budget and we said, okay, we're going to give our budget to this, this, and this. And we appointed a children's worker, and we we're going to start an alpha course, and we're going to keep running Sunday services. And someone was going to volunteer to host the children's ministry in their home. That turned out to be my wife. Um, and so, now, when you've got 80 people, those structures aren't going to work anymore. And if you keep growing, and so we got to 160 people, 150, 160, we had to reinvent ourselves. And, and, and as we kept changing, we got to 300, and then something happened, and we just took off. And normally it took us about three or I mean four, four years or so to, 
to progress. But suddenly, once we hit this big number, and we started reaching 300, 400, and there was still this energy and this momentum, like in about 12 months, we went to 500 people, and we were, it was chaos. We didn't know how to pastor, care for, integrate that number of people, and we had quite a small facility. And then PBC called me, and I left them to sort it out. Um, but but the, the thing is, growing into a bigger church is actually quite traumatic. It doesn't just happen. So don't think, oh, we'll all stay together. It'll still feel the same. No, it won't. I promise you, a church of 80 feels completely different to a church of 250 or 400 people. It doesn't feel like home anymore. I kept hearing that from people in the church. I've lost my church. I don't feel like I belong here. I joined a small, friendly church, and now I feel like a complete stranger. Other people loved it because, you know, you've got more money. You can do bigger things. You can hire a worship leader. You can da-da-da-da. And they thought it was just great walking in, and the whole thing was just pumping. And ultimately, you do get an eventual plateau. So why did we not think this was the best option? And now I'm talking about PBC again. Because people want to feel like they're part of family, a church community where they're known, where people, uh, you're actually able to walk in and greet people and know most of the people in the room. And, and so even if we were to remain a single congregation that grew ever bigger, that sense would also be lost. The other thing is, is that several times the venue has been the limiting factor. And it's big money to address the issue of the venue, to knock down this or that or expand one of these halls, for example, this hall or uh, the other one. More of that uh, in a few months' time. And so essentially, we would postpone our mission to say, well, the solution is a big build, a mega church. Even if you said, let's sell here and move elsewhere, the feedback was some people were like, you know, my granddad paid for that brick. And so we're going to stay behind regardless. And so effectively moving to go and do a big church somewhere else, you know, move to a mega venue would have resulted in effectively a church plant stroke split rather than a relocation. That was the feedback that we got. So what about planting new churches inside of Pinelands? Um, so this is where people leave, not to join interconnected churches. You're literally creating autonomous churches, a standalone church, own pastor, own membership, own money, the whole shooting match. These churches would then work out their own strategy, their own direction. They'd appoint their own leaders, um, and it fits under the single church model Except that you're no longer dealing with like one giant oak tree, you're actually dealing with the acorn. So this is what we did back in Hilton when we, we started. Like that tiny little bit and high risk and hope you can propagate and get the thing to go. The big oak tree drops the acorn and we all hope it grows and survives. The thing is, is that you forfeit a lot of resources and now understand this. In urban settings, 
property is suddenly crazy expensive. This made sense in Hilton, where, where land was freely available. But where do you go if you want to plant or build a new church? Do you move into the industrial area? Uh, do we pay? So this is two stands, and you want to go, go bigger. So maybe four stands, four houses in Pinelands at the average housing rate. You're looking at about 15 to 20 million rand just for the land. And then you're still going to put your buildings on top. In other words, you lose an incredible amount of resources. Can we not use the same facilities again and again and again? In other words, get multi-use from the same source. Now, I know I'm talking strategy here. Yeah? Some of you are dying of boredom. But we want to make sure... That's why this place was redone. You know, if you look at the back and you see the bricks and then you see that slab on the column, that was where the floor was. And we had a sloped floor and we had pews in here. And, you, and this venue was used once a week, twice a week. I mean, sorry, one day a week. Because it had a single use. We couldn't repeat use it. It had a... And so trying to make these places, places that are functional cost-effective, efficient in the kingdom, and not underutilize our resources. And so, it is the proximity to the urban context, the city and the price of land, literally, and the value of property, etc., that we felt planting new churches, standalone churches within Pinelands, with buildings and manse and everything else, and, and setting that up. It seemed to be a tremendous drain on resources and personnel. Can we not do it in some way different? So then we began looking at multiple services. This is like still one big tree. Remember, it's like more like the franchise model. Um, and, uh, and so what do you get over here? You're trying to just make church accessible. The challenge here is that your diversity is marginal. Everyone's sort of like, you know, you're not walking into the Canal Walk uh, food court and someone can get a nuts and someone else can get fish and someone else can get KFC and someone else can get a burger. It's like walking into the food court and there's seven KFCs. So you've decided what the brand is, and you're going to stick to that brand, and everybody, if you're going to join our church, this is the brand. The challenge is, is that Pinelands itself has become the most, 2011 census, the most racially diverse voting ward in the country. Now that does include parts of Maitland and a little bit of Lunga. But Pinelands itself has, uh, has, has changed radically. Now, if you're going to insist on having a one-size, I mean, a one-style franchise, you're going to hope that everybody gets squeezed into that. That's really bad missionary thinking. That's like going from Cape Town into India and speaking Afrikaans. It just won't work. 
You've got to learn what works there, not what you know. You've got to learn what people need. That's mission. And the other difficulty with multiple services, it tends to center on a high-profile individual, and we haven't got anyone who fits into that category. So we began to think of missional congregations. And, and so this is a, a tree also in Kirstenbosch. In fact, all these photos were taken in Kirstenbosch. Um, and, and this is a wild almond tree. It has a really bad backstory. And that Jan van Riebeck's guys planted these, trying to make a hedge to keep the local Khoisan people out of their little colony on the slopes of Table Mountain and in Table Bay. Now, the crazy thing is, is that these trees were planted back in 16, I think it's 59, and they're still there. Now, although they've got a bad backstory, they've actually got a really good example. So what happens to these trees? If you look, how many trees do you see? Okay, how many trees do you see? Those are all wild almonds. All one of them. That is one tree. So as the tree grows, its own weight causes it to bend. And as it bends, wherever it touches the ground, it takes root again. And so it's the idea of using this metaphor is let's bend the church to take root in place after place after place. It's the same DNA, it's the same tree, but it actually can go to different places. And so even when something appears to die, so that's probably a couple of hundred year old, that was a a tree branch that eventually bent and and lay on the ground. And you think it's dead. You think this, this, this branch ain't going to make it. There's literally, just moving slightly to the left, there's that branch. And it's already starting to root new life again. It's cool, hey? So the interesting thing is, is the church bends to reach the context or the soil that it's landing in and takes root there again. You have the same DNA, but not necessarily the same face, not necessarily the same teacher. So what did we, as we wrestled with this, we try to find a definition. And and obviously we read a lot of literature and stuff like that as well uh, during this time. But... What we're looking at are collective expressions. So this is what it could look like for us to do kingdom together in a world that's changing quickly. And that's especially urban settings. So these congregations organize themselves around evangelism, mission, to the communities they're going in. They're bending the church to touch the world. Okay? So... The objective is fundamentally to serve those outside of the church. A guy called Alan Hirsch is quite a big thinker on missional church and that kind of thing. He's done some deep studies. And 
he said that it's almost impossible if you start a social group for the purpose just of socializing to inject mission afterwards, to say, let's all be friends. Da, 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 da. Okay, now let's go and do mission. He says, once the group starts with a non-missional impetus or DNA, it's almost impossible to change the DNA. But the best way to form community is to form community around its mission. So this is who we are. This is what we do. And so the community naturally does and is designed to do. So that's why a missional congregation, it's designed to do that, to serve people outside the existing church. You listen to people. You enter their culture. You think like a missionary. You make disciple-making and discipleship a priority. You don't assume that the people walking through the door already know Jesus and been going to church all their lives. And so often, that means redesigning your worship service, for example. I mean, a classic example, when we were doing this in the city of Cape Town, you know, gosh, 35 years ago, the churches still had those what they were called overhead projectors, you know, that flimsy piece of paper which shine up and, you know, that ancient thing. That was new technology. But before that, we had the redemption hymnals and they had the music score and then they had the four or five verses. And, and those, the verses were written underneath the notes by which they were sung. But the average young person walking into church had never looked at a music score sheet in their life before. And so they started singing, Amazing Grace, How Sweet, Through Many Dangers, Toils, and Snare. And, and they just didn't know how to do this thing. Now, what's this got to do with discipleship? That's a simple example of helping someone you know, understand how church works. There's so many things about that we take for granted like reading your Bible, praying, what worship means, why, why Christian relationships matter, etc. And we've got to, we can't assume people know this. And so if you're reaching people, you've got to make discipleship a priority because you're actually targeting people who don't yet know Jesus. And then you intentionally form community, and it's a Christian community but you're doing it with mission in the DNA. And then PBC decided, so this is PBC's uh, model, that there's four specific things that are delegated. The first is permission to form community. Remember the church was being defined by this one sense of family, and that actually was governing our ability to reach out. And so people had to be told, you don't have to know everyone in the church. In fact, if you don't know everyone in the church, it's not a sign of failure and that you're such a bad Christian. It's actually a sign that the strategy is starting to create multiple communities, working together, doing mission, reaching people, and you are not necessarily going to know everybody. And so... It's when you think about what Jesus did, Jesus started a movement, a communion of multiplying communities. So can we keep his legacy going of multiplying the communities that make these disciples? And so our social needs, you know, to have these predictable social contexts must not override our missiology, our missional calling. 
So then we lean into doing mission. And, uh, and so this involves thinking like missionaries and, and basing church services not just on who's in the room, but who you're hoping will come into the room. And in many cities, this will require flexibility for individual congregations to target specific subcultures. And so each congregation is given the mandate and the freedom or the authority to, uh, to discern their own mission or frontline. This is not autonomy, where like you're just literally off doing your own thing, but inside this context. And then as you're reaching people, different clusters and different formations, and they're going to need different content and different discipling at, at different times. So we're not going to have one sermon that's going to be repeated at all of them. The evening congregation probably has very different questions to what the classic congregation, to what the explore congregation are asking. So don't preach on stuff nobody's asking about. Okay, I'll finish now. Um, and then worship must be, worship is the last thing you choose. So often people think, okay, we're going to pull a church together, let's hire a hall, let's get a band, let's do the thing, and, and then that's the first thing. And you assume that the worship forms that you have are the ones that are going to work in that context. You know, if you're discipling people and you're reaching people, when worship grows from that soil, then you know. So, I mean, Explore's worship is continuing to change. Why? Because we're reaching into different soil. Evening service, continuing to change. Even classic, although they recognize that they, there's this huge missional front line. So classic has got a missional front line. Pinelands has got a significant community of people who value the heritage of their faith. So classic is not just taking care of the people who are already coming. Classic is reaching new people. Drawing people into membership, people are getting baptized, people are coming to faith, and they're doing so in a way, in a worship setting that speaks to them. And so that's authentic to who they are. So there's no judgment, this is better than that. The different congregations aren't here to be compared with each other or to compete with one another. They to work out in that context, how do we build community how do we identify our missional front line? How do we disciple the people we've got in the room? And then how do we let this flow naturally into worship and into ministry? I think, let me, what remains in common? Just quickly to explain them. We don't have three memberships. And, you know, we are praying about do we, at what point do we look at a fourth congregation, for example? Um, explore this morning was pretty full. Are we starting to reach venue restraints? Do we have to move? Do we, you know, classic week in and week out is doing really well. Even if we had a fourth congregation, it would still be one membership. This is certainly what we have in mind at the moment. So there's a single eldership and church council, shared objectives, shared beliefs, shared ministry philosophy and principles. That's what we're aiming at, shared ministries. Uh, so whether it's missionaries, youth and children's ministries, etc. So you don't have gap for explore, gap for evening and another one. You just got gap. 
And then we share a lot of resources. It's certainly true that the Explore congregation at Pinehurst Primary could not exist without these shared resources. And so even though that seems like a really cool way to do it, having these shared resources. Now, at the same time, the elders have been going away on retreat, and we've been wrestling with these questions, not just how do we do this again, but is this really working? And how many times can this work? So, for example, we've got three congregations that have each got their own pastor, and there's an elder assigned, and there's a steering team. And even that is hard work at, a, at an eldership and at a collective level. Because over time, the congregations really get their own flavor. And so, is it possible for me to really understand what Classic needs, for example? And uh, is, it, is it possible for someone in Classic to vote on who the next pastor should be at evening, etc.? So those are, those are legitimate questions. We don't yet have answers. But we are wrestling with what the implications of this would be, especially if you went to a fourth or a fifth congregation. How big is an effective eldership, for example? These are strategic questions that can stymie us if we don't put the work in. So at the moment, the elders are working on this. But one of the things that came to us, and let me wrap up with this, is when we did the EMI thing, there was almost like this sub-question, especially for people who are quite new to PBC. What is PBC? I mean, I know this church, I know that. What is PBC? And so not understanding why the congregations are not just doing things differently. They're actually encouraged for the sake of mission and ministry to be different. They're encouraged to go after diversity in order that the same gospel that we hold and preach is actually reaching different contexts in our community. And so the intention is not to create confusion or chaos or have three churches in one. The intention is literally to multiply ministry wherever the church touches ground. Thank you, worship team. Um, I don't know if you want to wrap it up there or... I don't know. Let me ask quickly. Are there any questions? Because I'm happy to bore you more. Yes. So the, the generational uh, sort of like dynamics definitely there. I don't know if any of the other elders want to. So this came through strongly in the EMI feedback as, as a potential sort of like concern. Uh, people feeling that as much as it's great, we really do want this intergenerational thing. The problem was also there. We want intergenerational in our way. So the evening congregation want these really cool hipster grannies to rock up and do church the way you do church. And classic congregation want these fuddy-duddy young people to walk in and do church the way they do church and explore, you know, etc. So we're all wanting intergenerational in our way. And, I mean, we do have a bit of a 
backstory, which isn't time to go into it, in which we, we tried to be all things to everyone before we went to this model. And actually, we just saw people leave. Um, and, and especially, we found the younger generations leave. And so, this is a church that's been going for 75 years. And a lot of those people have been around for a long time. And simply making it a war between who gets to run the show was not what we wanted to do. So one of the things we're actually looking at in the uh, design process is having a, a space where even if you're doing ministry in different places, there's a mingling, so a central courtyard where the current coffee bar and that kind of space is, that whole area gets knocked down and you go double story and so downstairs is this large open area with a kitchen and hospitality area that people can interact so whether you meet in the hall whether you meet here and there's more stuff over there but I'm not going to go ahead of it but but the the point was to build a space that literally feels like where anyone can walk up and meet anyone else um, and if we get it right, the potential to bring, for example, Explore back to the campus then exists so that that kind of intergenerational interaction could happen. Say you've got an 8.30 service and a 10 o'clock service. You come to church early so that you're actually able to meet one group of people. So we tried that before, but the problem in our current campus is that people literally have to leave. So is there a space where people can like genuinely mingle, etc.? And then using midweek ministries like small groups and that kind of thing. One of the things to work on is diversity, just appreciating cultural diversity, linguistic diversity, generational diversity. And that is a muscle that takes a lot of work. Um, so that is probably one of the, the most glaring weaknesses of our current thing is... And so evening, for example, has consciously been looking for mentoring adults to enter this space um, and be part of this space so that um, this is not just another youth group. This is actually a congregation. Good question. Yeah. So in presenting this, this actually went through the church, the whole church back then 12 years ago, put their hands, you know, went through a couple of workshops and then eventually, so there was, there was you know, lots of interaction before we actually finally voted and said, let's do this thing. Um, so we, in that sense, is PBC. At the moment, in terms of the strategic review, uh, we is the eldership mainly, um, as we're trying to just get our heads around, even just clarifying, simplifying. So rather than come and say, well, we're, we're, we're rethinking, and everything seems up in the air, we're trying to identify what are the exact issues that we are rethinking. But, but yeah, what can we do in, in this sense? I mean, obviously, there's going to be some feedback into the congregational space, even when the EMI thing is, uh, comes back. Engage with that. But importantly, what, 
it, what became evident is people didn't understand why we were doing what we were doing. So the first thing we would say is, does this make sense? Does you understand why we're trying to do this? Do you understand why we want to multiply congregations? We're not trying to split the church. We're trying to reach our community because the community is outgrowing the church at a rapid rate at the moment. And add another 10,000 people at Conradi Park in the next three years. That number is going to just go through the roof. And so we're very aware of the why, and we want you to be aware of the why. In terms of the what at the moment, we want to say, form community, identify your missional front line, do the discipling, and invest in the congregation worship space as you're doing. So, I mean, it's really exciting uh, to see evening congregation. You know, post-COVID, we, we could have met in the blue room. Um, and, and as you guys have lent in, and as you guys have stayed in the game, evening is, um, is really coming back on. So we would go, don't see yourself as a standalone church. You're trying to do your own thing. See yourself as connected, but see yourself as holding a missional presence and a missional opportunity. And wrestle with, to the steering team, for example, and, and the leaders here, wrestle with, who is God leading us to? Who are we well positioned to reach? Um, so on Wednesday night, just uh, for example, we were in Conradi Park, and we were there last year, and now we're back there. And just in the last two weeks, they've opened up a new block that is not for people with uh, social housing requirements. In other words, people who, who actually can't afford. These are young professionals. They're working for Take A Lot. They're working for Woolworths. They, they're studying their masters. They're studying their doctorates. And, and they are renting or buying in Conradi Park. And suddenly we've got a new generation, literally of hundreds of single young professionals... <laughs> Sorry, uh, sorry, I was just, some of them are married. <laughs> um, in a multicultural melting pot, and two guys had moved from Joburg and another guy, I, I think from Paul or Stellenbosch or something, because his work was much closer. All of them said, we're looking for a church. I think evening is incredibly well positioned. So some of you should be signing up to be helping us at Alpha. Seriously, because those guys are the people that you want to be reaching. Some of them are Christians, but by no means all of them. And so we begin, we find a person of peace. That's the strategy. It's the language Jesus used as in someone who's going to help you Get inside the social circles. Now, they haven't even got social circles yet. They've been there for two weeks. They're strangers to each other. I was introducing people in flats next door to each other who had not yet met. So, uh, yeah, do mission. And then lean into what the worship and the thing is that is authentic to your congregation. Yeah, we really do want to say go for it. This is meant to be empowering. It's meant to feel like this is what we're able to do.